Good morning. You figured out I'm not Pastor Andy, right? He's the younger guy, very young. I'm Vic Tony, and I want to welcome you to service today. It's a privilege to be in God's house. And is there, I think we, we were missing somebody who's here today. Welcome back. Yeah. And we want to welcome our uh, organist who's going in, Mike. Good to be, glad you're here. All right. And a couple of announcements. I won't read them all, but we do have the uh, coins for Mission Sunday. And during the, uh, the children's uh, sermon, the kids will be going by with the buckets for you to put your coins in. And the church is still looking for uh, uh, prayer partners. You'll see the link there in the bulletin. And if you want to sign up for altar flowers for 2023, it's on the table in the narthex. You can sign up for that. So let us prepare our hearts to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Please stand for the call to worship printed in your bulletin. A voice of power and majesty calls out to us, I am your God. I have called you in righteousness. God takes us by the hand and leads us. In covenant with God, we extend light to the world. Worship with joy and give glory to God's name. Listen for the new thing God declares. We remember that we have been baptized. May we live as those with whom God is pleased. Please join me in our opening hymn, Come Christians Join to Sing.
Thank you. You may be seated. And then please join me in our opening prayer, also printed in your bulletin. Come, Holy Spirit, to dwell in us and among us. Make us more than dimly burning wicks that we might share enough light to make a difference in your world. Where there is injustice, help us as we work to change the minds and hearts of those who benefit from it. Show us again the new possibilities you have in mind for us. May we reflect your peace amid the frantic, busy pace of the marketplace. Amen. And if I could have the children please come forward. And if you have coins for missions that you would like to donate, we're going to start our children's sermon off by passing out the blue buckets. Anybody else? Here we go. Thank you, thank you. Okay, just put set them on the altars. Is this catching? You guys hearing me? Great, okay. Yeah, you can just set them, or here, guys. Up, up here, sorry. Thank you, and thank you for all those coins for missions. Wonderful. You guys can have a seat. I want to talk to you guys today about news and information. How today do most people get our news and information? Google? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to tell you a funny story about Google. Your Uncle Doug, he wanted to know if anybody had the Google app. (laughs) He said it was an app. (laughs) So, Google, how else do we get our, our news and information? Internet, for sure. Yep. I would also say TV. I mean, get up in the morning. First thing Doug and I do is put on the TV to kind of see what's going on for news today. The second one you said was newspaper. And that's kind of, I'm going to take that back a couple a couple years ago because that was the primary way we got our news was through the newspaper. And even way beyond that, There used to be people that ran around in the streets going, you know, extra, extra, read all about it because there was information that people, they wanted to make sure people knew about. And so it was um, in newspapers. 
Before that, no newspapers. How do you think information was shared? Stories, absolutely. So there was something that, I think it has a weird name for it, but there used to be what they call the town criers. Now, what would, if you hear the term town crier, you kind of think they're the boo-hoo people, right? So, but they weren't called criers because they were crying. They were crying out the news. And so they would stand like on the street corners and say, hear ye, hear ye, and then they'd tell the information. And that's how the news was. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bible times, because there was this amazing, amazing thing. We just celebrated his birth um, at Christmas time, and Jesus came to earth. And then let's fast forward a couple years. He's now an adult, and he's going to get ready to start his ministry. He's going get, to get ready to start spreading the news. And God wanted people to be aware. So he didn't have, the, he didn't have Google at that time. And he didn't have newspapers, and he didn't even have town criers. So do you know what he sent? He sent somebody named John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about him today in our sermon. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. So he laid the way. He kind of let people know, hey, something exciting is going to happen. So think of all of those things together. Google, hear ye, hear ye, extra, extra, read all about it and John the Baptist. They all kind of go together. All right? Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Lord, there are a lot of people that need to know about Jesus. Help us be messengers like John the Baptist. Amen. All right, you guys can go back, but you can have a treat. And if you guys will turn in your um, hymnals for the prayer hymn, Have Thy Known Way, Lord.
Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search us and try us. Save you today. Wash us just now, Lord. Wash us just now. As in thy presence, humbly we bow. We adore you and worship you. Jesus. The name above every name. We cannot really grasp how much you love us and what you did for us on the cross and in the tomb. We cannot understand your infinity. You have always been and will ever be. But we have experienced your goodness. We have felt your presence. We have received your mercy. We've been empowered by your grace. We just want to adore you, Lord. And we confess our sins. We ask your forgiveness for things we've done and said that did not please you. For attitudes we've taken. And we ask your forgiveness for things we should have said and things we should have done that we did not. Help us to walk in your light. And in the power of redemption. For that is our hope. And we thank you. We thank you God. Everything you give us is good. We thank you for a place to worship. And a free country to live in. We thank you for friends and family. We thank you for means and resources. We thank you for health. Our heart overflows with thanksgiving. Help us, Lord, to live with a life of gratitude, with a life that gratitude is the first thing we think of, no matter what is going on. But we would be remiss if we did not pray for those we know, who are suffering serious medical or mental issues. We lift them up this moment. And in this moment of silence, lift up to the Lord that person in your life that you're most concerned of. For those in hospitals and for the doctors and nurses and medical staff who treat them. For our country and those who are in leadership in our country on the federal, state, and local levels. For our churches and those who lead our churches and those who oversee our churches, we pray. 
We pray for moms and dads and husbands and wives. We pray for children who face pressures every day as they enter adolescence and in adolescence and pre-adolescence. We just pray your cover and protection. There are so many things. And we don't know how to pray, but you taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. prayer of dedication. We pray, O God, that our offerings delight you. We bring them to encourage all who work for justice and peace on our behalf, that they may not grow faint or be crushed by opposition. May the oppressed find healing, the discouraged receive hope, 
and those who are bound discover freedom through and beyond our efforts. Absolutely beautiful, you too. Thank you. As is the um, tradition at Faith Community, please stand for the gospel lesson today. It is taken from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. We, we, I don't know if you know how much we as a congregation, because usually I'm in the congregation, appreciate all that y'all do. Gene, uh, Mike for playing, Carol and, and Erica and Wayne sang today. It was beautiful. And, and I thank you so much for liturging today. Or what do you, liturging? I just invented that word. But you do a very good job liturging and great children's sermon. That'll go in the lectionary, I'm sure. But I did want to say thank you so much. And the ushers, everybody. So, in a minute, I'm going to have a moment of silent prayer. But I was amazed when I was preparing for this message. I'm, I know you thought I was probably 50, but I'm actually 67 and a half. I hear laughter. And um, I've preached thousands of times in my life, never have I preached a sermon on the baptism of Jesus? I mean, I've referred to it, but never. Well, this was the, litur- this was the, the uh, reading, you know, one of the readings for this Sunday. And so uh, that's a first. And, and I discovered some things that, that I wish I'd studied it really that hard a lot of years ago. Anyway, if you'll join me for a moment of silent prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's message. Amen. A book just came out, and it's called Churchless. How many have heard of that book, Churchless? George Barna, who is the premier researcher in the United States, he's the George Gallup of Christian research, and he researches beliefs, churches, what goes on in that realm. He just published a book, Churchless, which is his first book in about six or eight years, and he does constant reports on, on uh, searching the, the beliefs and this and that of the country. And in his newest book, let me share some things. Normally I don't do this, but I am, and hopefully it'll be obvious some, at the end of the sermon. Why? Um, in the early 1990s, two out of ten adults were churchless. That is, they did not go to church. Or so little that it was almost never. In the early 2000s, three in 10 were churchless. Today, almost 50% of Americans are churchless. If you were to take the unchurched, it would be the eighth largest nation in the world. 156 million Americans are churchless. Not unchurched, but churchless. And most of the growth that's occurring in American churches today is not conversion growth. It's transfer growth. A person doesn't like that church, so they go to another church. Well, that church gets the growth, but it's not 
conversion growth. That's the statistics. And the greatest of all the generations, um, the greatest churchless generation right now is the mosaics or uh, 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 millennials, uh, basically those who were born from 1983-84 on. They're the most likely to be churchless. And there was, uh, in 2014, a, a research came out, why do people quit church? And the seven top reasons were the church was irrelevant. Number two, they cited hypocrisy and moral failings of church leaders. Three, they feel like God is missing in the church. Four, they feel legitimate doubt is prohibited in the church. Or five, they don't learn about God or Jesus. Six, they don't gain any significant insights about their faith. Or seven, they have trouble finding a community. Now, when I started preparing about a month ago for this message, um, and that's why you should always pray for your pastors, because pastors have to preach every week. It's the biggest thing they do. I had a whole month to prepare. That's a great luxury. And it's not a luxury that pastors have that preach week in and week out. So when I started to study, I said, well, I, I said, I think this sermon will probably be a sermon about baptism. But as I studied the passage and studied and prayed over and researched it, I realized that there was a larger portrait being drawn here by Matthew and that Matthew has more to say about the baptism and some things that's not in any other gospel and that the baptism has a lot more to do with Jesus, the church, our mission, and our message. And that's what I want to kind of look at. And then at the end, I want to share with you uh, one other thing from the book Churchless as I conclude. So you'll know, you'll be able to take a breath when I get to that. You say, oh, he's almost done. That's good. I said, I kidded, I said, someone said, I hope Pastor Andy didn't load the software in the sound system that cuts me off after 20 minutes, you know. That would be really bad. So, so what leads up to this baptism, this was the launch of Jesus' public ministry. He was about 30 years old. The last time he was in public, he was 12 years old. There was, I'm not good at math in public. Is that 18 years? Okay, that's 18 years out of the public eye. He was in the temple and his parents had left Jerusalem. They couldn't find him. They went back. He was in the temple. No other pub public ministry of Jesus. This launches his ministry and it's launched at his baptism and the baptizer is John the baptizer, not Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist like the Baptist, like some people. John the baptizer. He was the cousin of Jesus. And he actually, in the, the verses before this, he actually quotes from an Old Testament prophecy, his mission, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So, so John's calling was to prepare the way for Jesus. And the scripture before the baptism says, people went out from Jerusalem to Judea, the whole region of Jordan. They were confessing their sins and being baptized in the Jordan River. Can you imagine? This was a public event. This wasn't a private confessional in a booth. It was a public event and people were coming in the water and they were confessing our, their sins. They were saying, there's something wrong with me. I'm not right. And they were confessing their sins. It was a baptism of repentance. This is what uh, John was doing 
And he also had some really harsh words toward the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Boy, what if I start my sermon like that? You brood of vipers. Well, that's what John the Baptist was doing to the religious leaders. So that's what leads up to it. And um, uh, when we get to the baptism, what I want to look at is how the baptism of Jesus, what it has to say about the essentials of the Christian faith, about our uh, message, about our mission, and how we do things. And the first thing that I see that is implied in the baptism is that the church... Think of this. John the Baptist's mission was to show the, uh, was to, to, to prepare the way of Jesus, right? That's what the scripture says. But the church, our mission is to show the way to Jesus. His was to prepare the way, but ours is to show the way of Jesus. And the baptism was public, no accident. And when you look at the scripture in the original language, it's very strong. John the Baptist was offended. He was offended that Jesus came to be baptized. How do I know that? Well, if you look in the Scripture, it says in the NIV, it says John tried to detour him. Uh, other versions say he tried to hinder Jesus. And, and the, the personal prepositions he used in the original language, in the Greek, are emphatics. Because in that language, you can change the word to to make it mean that and so he says this he says i need to be baptized by you and you come to me john that's like no way no way i'm baptizing you this is a baptism of repentance people are coming and confessing their sin you're the son of god uh-uh. jesus told John the Baptist, in so many words, the same thing he told the disciples. We're coming to Jesus. And the Scripture says the same word in in Greek, they were hindering the kids from coming to Jesus. Hindering them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to Me. That's what Jesus said. Isn't it interesting how we get caught in our own agendas and we hinder Jesus and don't even know it? John was hindering Jesus. The disciples were hindering Jesus. What is our mission? Maybe John the Baptist didn't quite understand it, but our mission is to create community in the context of redemption so our vertical relationship with God can be right and our horizontal relationship with people can be good. That is redemption. And that's what we're called to. And Jesus said it in a different way in the Great Commission. I give you authority. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's one who seeks to be right with God and one who seeks to be right with others. If we seek to be right with God but not with others, that's called hypocrisy, right? And if we seek to be right with others without God, that is called humanism. In Christianity, discipleship is being right with God and right with others. 
I thought of this, and it was just shocking to me, and I'm going to share it with you, because like I've told some of you, when I prepare a message, I preach to myself. It has to resonate in my heart to me. And it does, and I hope it will resonate with, with some of you. I considered this, that every behavior, every belief, every value, every action, every thought either hinders the Holy Spirit's work in our life or enhances it, and it either hinders the world to see Jesus in us or it helps. And that was a powerful thought. And so I ask, are we drawing others to Jesus or repelling them? Now, it's not all or nothing. I'm not here to guilt you because there's nobody in this congregation, nobody who has ever been in this congregation who always has the right thoughts, right behavior, right actions, right attitudes. Nobody. We live in a dynamic life where we struggle with our sin nature, but God calls us to seek to be a light so that the Holy Spirit can work in us and people can see Jesus. It's not all or nothing, but we can't give up on that. That is what God calls us to do. That's the first thing I saw. The church shows we are called to show the way to Jesus. Number two, Our need, the need of people, is righteousness. That's our need. Righteousness. Rightness. Uh, Jesus, in verse 15, said, uh, when uh, Jesus replied, when, when John said, well, how can I baptize you? Jesus said, do it now. Really, in the Greek, that's what he says. Do it now. It's proper for us to do. In other words, Jesus said, this is right. And this is to fulfill Righteousness. And I can see people thinking righteousness, this is a baptism of repentance. You're baptizing a perfect holy man who's never sinned, who will never sin. Jesus said it was to fulfill righteousness. What was He meaning by that? Because He was marking the beginning of God's saving work. Think of how momentous that moment was. The whole history of the world, from Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin... The world was locked into sin. They were locked into hopelessness. They were locked into destruction. And there was no way to remedy their sin until a Savior came to the world who could forgive us our sin and free us and give us eternal life. It was momentous. And Jesus was saying, I am that fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so as a baptism of repentance, I'm the one bringing the redemption to you. It's just quite amazing, really. His first act is a baptism of repentance. The need, I really battled over how to say this. The need of people is righteousness. We're spiritually dirty without Jesus. We're spiritually dirty. Without Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do in the pew. It doesn't matter how many songs we sing. It doesn't matter how many meetings we attend. It doesn't matter how much volunteering we do. Because without Jesus, we're dirty spiritually. We need Jesus. Only Jesus. 
brings righteousness. And even as I say that, they're a paradox because everyone in this congregation is beautiful. And the reason I know you're beautiful, I don't have to know all of your life. I don't have to know what you were like in your worst moments because only our families see us in our worst moments. The church never sees us in our worst moments. I don't have to even know any of that. I don't have to know the worst thing you ever did or the best thing you ever did. I know you're a beautiful person because you have been created in the image of God. The image of God makes us beautiful and sin dirties us spiritually and that's why we need righteousness. We come to church because of Jesus. Righteousness Looks like connection and community. Righteousness is right with God and right with others. Should it matter here how you voted in the last election? Should that matter here? Should it matter here what your political view is? Because in here, We are seeking righteousness because all of us, regardless of what we believe, what our theology is, where we come from, how we vote, what TV shows we watch, what news channel we look at, here we are united by And we're brothers and sisters if you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then what we say is we love you and we want to introduce you to Jesus. Because He is our only hope. We're here because of Jesus. Do you know the number one reason from George Barner's research, the number one reason why the churchless don't go to church? You ready for this? Perceived lack of value. Perceived lack of value. There was great value in going to church. I'm going to tell you There's great value in knowing Jesus. And at the end of this, I'm going to share that with you. Okay, the church shows the way to Jesus. Number two, the need of people is righteousness. That's our need. Number three, the message of the church. You ready for this? This is powerful. I I mean, God could not be more unequivocal. It is Jesus only. The Scripture says the Spirit of, of God descended like a dove and a rabbi say that this, this is the same word used in the Old Testament where the Spirit were, was moving or brooding over the waters when God created. This is the same, same word, the Spirit descending, brooding over Jesus, descending like it did at the creation. And the two aspects of this message That Jesus is the powerful anointed one and He's a humble, obedient servant. He is powerful and anointed. The Holy Spirit is on Him. God is speaking down to Him. And yet, He is humble. He he has availed Himself to the baptism of repentance to identify with a lost world who says, I'm here for you. I am not dirty like you, but I'm going to be baptized as if I am because I'm going to go to the cross someday and I will be dirty and I will take all your sins. They will be upon my shoulder and God will turn His head from me. And I will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The humility of Jesus. Sorry, I'm screaming. I hate screaming preachers. 
unless they're me. <laughs> That's terrible. I really don't mean to scream. Ah. Then God says, This is my Son in whom I love or well pleased. I am with... This, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. This was authentication. You know... Um, work in places where you have to send emails or, or, or letters, or military where you work with secret stuff or top secret, you have authenticators. You know, you can send an encrypted email. You can send an authenticated email. So it's, it's authenticated and real. Well, God was authenticating Jesus and said, He's the real thing. He's my Son. When I say the message of the church is Jesus only, what I'm saying is, we live in a time when there is nothing that is absolute. Name me one, not real, this is a rhetorical question, so don't start naming. Name me one absolute value that our culture has, that everyone agrees on. Absolute. No, there is none that I know of. The only absolute value is how whatever you think and believe or feel is right. That's about the only absolute value I know. But this is absolute unequivocal. There is no under name under heaven by which people can be saved. There is no pluralism in Christianity. There is no pluralism. There are not many ways to heaven. There's just not. Not everyone who is sincere is going to heaven. It does matter what we believe. There are some people going to heaven and there are going to be some people going to hell. That's what the Scripture teaches. It's pretty absolute. There is one God who sent one Son who anointed Him with one Holy Spirit because of the one problem in humanity and it is unrighteousness, our sin. And He brings redemption. The power of our message is the power of redemption. Jesus. God says, He's my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's it. There's no other way. Now, there are three, and I'm not doing this math in public. I did this with a calculator before, so don't think I would ever try to do this in public. There are 320,000 Protestant churches in the United States. There are 18,000 Catholic parishes and approximately 50,000 house churches. So that's 388,000. That's quite the opportunity we have to bring Christ to the churches. That's quite an opportunity. We can't wait for him just to show up in church. My dear brothers and sisters, we just can't wait because a lot will not show up in church first until we've created a relationship with them. And that's what I'm praying about in my life. How can I create relationships with the churchless? Not how can I create relationship with someone that I can pick from another church to come here. We can't wait for him to show up. 
here's what we offer. Not this, not this church. Any church who will just trust Jesus and follow Jesus as our Savior and the Scripture as our Word for authority and life and practice. According to George Barna's research, what people are looking for and what the church offers, and this is so true, we're at its best. Godly relationships. People who are churchless and are just living their life, there's a lot of dissatisfaction in their life. And there's a, they crave, and, and we crave the godly relationships. Number two, doing good. People want to do good. A lot of people quit coming to church because they think it's, it's irrelevant. Nothing good is done there, and it doesn't help me, and all that stuff. But doing good is part of the Christian life. It is helping the, 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 uh, the horizontal relationships of people. Third, people are looking for peace. I know I sound like, like an old guy now. Have we ever lived in such a noisy, confusing, interrupting world? But it seems to me like we do. Everything, you know, we got everything going on, uh, all the electronics, all that kind of stuff. But God speaks in the silence. Fourth, worship. The church offers transcendent worship. What does that mean? We by nature are selfish. We by nature uh, don't think outside ourselves. I think part of maturing from a child to an adult, when you're a child, everything's about you. You didn't know it was supposed to be any different, did you? When you were a kid? You didn't know it was any different. It's all about you. And your parents spent your whole life trying to show you, no, it's not about you. It was about you till you could get to a place you could be mature. But transcendence means there's something more important outside my wants, my desires, my Facebook, my Twitter account, all this other stuff. There's something outside it that's more important. And its relationship with God is transcendent. When we come to worship, this is a transcendent event because in here is not about us. That's why we're not in a circle. We're all facing the cross. This is about God and interacting as people of God or seekers of God. Fifth, witness. Responsibility to share witness. Sixth, mentoring. Seventh, unity. One place where politics must not divide us is in church. The eighth thing that he discovered in his research is discernment, cultural discernment. This is what the world is craving. And that is, they don't know the answer to this. The, uh, the churchless have not been in church. We have a whole generation of millennials, 50% more than that, hadn't even been in church. They don't know anything about the, uh, that part of life and we offer cultural discernment, that is, the ability to discern what spiritually and, and personally helps us flourish and what degrades us. People don't know. They're getting involved in all kinds of stuff that's degrading. They don't know, well, I want to flourish, but they're not flourishing because we need Jesus. And faith focus, where people can go in pursuit of Jesus because faith is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the more it's flexed. Baptism of Jesus 
We need to show the way. Our need is righteousness and our message is Jesus. That's it. And let us pray that God will show us how we can step out of our walls and reach the churchless all around. And we just need to make those connections. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, help us. Give us wisdom. Help us to be faithful to your message and help us to reach those who are churchless. Christ's name, amen. Please stand for the last hymn, 347. Receive the benediction. May all authority be given to you and I to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age.